Greetings, Grace Fellowship Church. This is Ryan Zellner, and I'm so happy to greet you on this morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you find yourself. We are a scattered flock, but we all have the Good Shepherd leading us and guiding us. And so I pray that this time together encourages you and keeps you focused on our Savior and Lord during this time. And I also want to remind you that the one thing that Grace is really good at, it's rallying behind needs. And so if you find yourself with any kind of need, do not hesitate or wait to reach out. Uh, we would love to come alongside you. And we've made it really easy. It's on our website. It says, I have a need. And we're just looking for your name, contact information, and a little bit about what's going on. And we'll have somebody contact you. And we can't promise that we can fix everything or make things right, but man, we're gonna try and we're gonna come alongside of you and we're gonna pray with you. And so if you need prayer, masks, or financial aid during this time, we understand and we have so many people waiting to come alongside others and love them during this time. And so uh, that's just my reminder to you that we are this great community and we're still here and we're still around for you. And so. Uh, let us come and, and do that and to love one another during this time. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we center ourselves right now in this time. We want to meet with you. We want to see you clearly. We want to be encouraged. Holy Spirit, do a work in us and among us and around us. Lord, this is an opportune time. There is value in this time. And so we want to just look ahead and begin to see things the way that you see it. God, give us your eyes uh, to see our neighbors and the people around us, ways to love our families well, ways to serve one another, and ways that you are trying to tell us how much you love us and how much you adore us. God, we are so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wherever you're doing this, I miss being with you. Let's take a breath right now, turning to God in this moment to express our trust in Him, our dependence on Him, as well as our griefs and our fears. God, hear our voices this morning as we raise them to you collectively. Heal us as we sing. Grander earth has quaked before sound of his voice sees that I'm shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it all through 
Last week, one of the things we touched on was how having a posture of thankfulness is one tangible expression of being filled with the Spirit, and the the importance of applying ourselves to the work of bringing to mind all the things we can be grateful to God for. And yet, sometimes we can wrongly conclude that the most God-honoring attitude is to always appear joyful, the idea that the best response is always a cheerful acceptance of everything, even when we're confused, angry, or heartbroken. But the truth is, for the Christian, there's room for another kind of posture, and that is one of faithful lament. Lament is more than just the expression of sorrow or the venting of emotion or complaints. Lament brings all of that to God. Lament talks to God about our pain. And it has a unique purpose, and that purpose is that we move towards trusting God. Lament is a God-given invitation to just pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. And as we continue to live through this interesting time of lockdown, shutdown, social distancing, isolation, you know, I think it's important that we acknowledge the loss that many of us are experiencing, all kinds of loss, and, and to give room and credence for grieving those losses and expressing our heartfelt emotions to God. You know, the Bible is filled with songs and prayers of lament. Over a third of the Psalms are laments, and the entire book of Lamentations is one long, sorrowful lament over the destruction of Jerusalem, hence the name. And Jesus himself deeply lamented in the final hours of his life. And we not only have biblical examples, and thus permission, I think, to lament, but but the practice of lament can be, as one theologian put it, one of the most theologically informed actions a person can take. I think what he means by that is 
Though while a spirit of complaining might be a common human response, for the Christian, we can lament because we know God is sovereign and good. We know God's promises to us. We believe in God's power to deliver. And we know that whatever circumstances may come our way, God is always good, and we can trust Him. And yet, knowing these things, we still experience pain and sorrow. So, lament, you might say, is a sort of prayer language we have for living in the middle of two realities. On one hand, the reality of experiencing the difficulties that come with living in a broken world, and and the other reality that we can trust a loving, sovereign God in the midst of all of it. I am so grateful for the Psalms of Lament. To read these raw emotions being boldly expressed by the psalmist to God. Sometimes just these gut-wrenching emotions. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Why is my pain continuous? My legs tremble beneath me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fact that these sentiments are in our Bible is so helpful to me that we don't just get these cleaned up, sanitized, perfectly spoken sentiments, or as a friend of mine says, the shiny, happy responses that we can't relate to. And that's so liberating to me, to know that God can handle it when I express my frustration and disappointment to Him, that He can mercifully absorb our sometimes over-dramatized emotions, our fears, our doubts. He can take it. And he can speak into those expressions of lament and bring healing, perspective, and truth to bear in our lives. And that's what you see happening in so many of these psalms of lament. They often move from raw, unfiltered emotional expression of hardship or fear to an eventual eventual affirmation of trust in God, often remembering his previous acts of faithfulness. But there's another really important benefit of faithful lament, and that is helping others. You know, many of us prefer to be private about our pain, not wanting to trouble others with with our hardship, or perhaps we're too concerned about what others might think. Lament can be messy, right? And and we want our lives to, to look neat. We'd prefer to keep all of this to ourselves or only talk about it when we've worked through it all, when we're sort of past it and and we can wrap it up in a pretty little bow. We can sometimes mistakenly think that our bleached prayers somehow make God look better. But just that, that's just not true. What's true is our authenticity can draw others to God as it enables them to be honest too. When we lament, we invite God into our pain so that we can know His comfort, so that others can see that our faith is real. And when we're drawn to God's grace in our lives, we will naturally draw others to God's grace as well. So in this time, let's allow ourselves to express our lament to God. We know so many of you have experienced significant pain and loss in this season. Things that resulted in you having a deep sense of disappointment or sadness, maybe anger or feelings of loneliness. What has it been for you? What we want to do now is just offer you some time to reflect on that question, some time to acknowledge where you are experiencing lament, 
What are the emotions you are experiencing? What is unsettling to you right now? Let's take a moment to express some of those things with whomever you you are with right now, whether that be family, roommates, or simply God. And if you need more time than what we've allocated here, feel free to hit the pause button so that you can extend your time for as long as you need. So let's take some time to do that now. Father, thank you that we can bring our real selves before you. That we can just lay it out there for you. The good, the bad, the ugly. And and you can take it. Thank you for the examples in your word that show us what faithful lament looks like. And Lord, may our lament turn into trust as we remind ourselves of what's true about you and that we can rest in your unfailing love and faithfulness. You are a good, good God, and we are grateful. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who also taught us the way of lament. Hello, Grace family. I'm going to be reading our passage this morning from Matthew 3, 16 through 4, 11. And this is when the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness with great purpose. So will you follow along with me? This is again, Matthew 3, 16, 4 through 11. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Grace. Good to be with you this morning. We're going to continue on our Holy Spirit series. And over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the Spirit's role in our sanctification, in Him forming us so that we become more and more like Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at one final way that He shapes us and forms us into the character of Jesus. And it's a hard way but it is by leading us into the wilderness, by leading us into wilderness, desert seasons in our lives, because there are things that can be formed in us in the desert that can't be formed any other way. So we're gonna look at Jesus' own experience of the Spirit in the wilderness. And that experience in the passage that Christina read starts at his baptism, which is this high moment in Jesus' life where the Spirit of God comes down on him in the form of a dove and anoints him for his public ministry. And then paired with the Spirit coming down is the voice of God from heaven speaking these amazing words of affirmation. You are my son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. It's this beautiful pairing of spirit and word. And really that's what, what the Spirit's role in our lives is. When we become Christians, when we give our lives to Jesus, the Spirit fills our hearts, and we begin to hear God's words of love and affirmation to us. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. Where there was a voice maybe of accusation or fear or guilt, now there's this voice of love and affection. And Jesus got to experience that at his baptism, just a high point in his life. But then, right after that, he is moved into the wilderness. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that is a fascinating verse to me. I feel like you could do a whole sermon series on that, that one verse. But what's clear, based on the, the language of that verse, is first off, clearly the Spirit is not tempting Jesus, right? God never tempts. It's the, it's the devil who tempts him. And yet the Spirit has intentionally put Jesus into a situation that's going to be very challenging and hard. He's putting him into this wilderness experience that 
is the exact opposite of his baptism experience. You know, in, at the baptism, he has all these tangible signs, tangible experiences of God's love and approval. And then in the wilderness, all of those tangible expressions are pulled away. All the circumstantial evidence of God's love and approval is gone. And I, I want to actually show you the image, an image of, of wilderness. Uh, this is where Jesus was in a wilderness. And, you know, the wilderness was a lonely place. It was a place where, where God's presence probably felt absent, actually. A wilderness was a dry place. It's a place where God's provision was in very short supply for Jesus. And of course, the wilderness is a dangerous place. It's a place where there's wild animals and God's protection might be called into question. And I want you to look at this image because at one point or other, we'll all find ourselves in wilderness seasons. These, these times where God's presence or his provision or his protection just kind of seem to disappear. And, you know, right now, so many of us are going through a wilderness season, a desert season. I mean, this is, this is a lonely place for many of us. This is a time of isolation and there's lack of community and we're just alone. And that's hard. For some of us, this has been a very dry season where some of God's tangible provision has just dried up, whether that be a job or whether that, that be finances. And we're wondering where the provision is going to come from. And then for some of us, this feels like a dangerous season where there's things that we really want to protect that feel threatened, whether that's our health or our loved ones or our financial security. And so here we are, God's beloved sons and daughters walking through a wilderness season. And the wilderness is never fun. It's, it's always painful. It's always disorienting. And yet we can see, at least in Jesus' case, that Sometimes the Spirit walks us through wilderness times. And for Jesus, he did that because apparently there was something so valuable that Jesus was to discover in the wilderness that, that he couldn't discover any other way. And so today what I want to do is just talk about what are the lessons of the wilderness? What is the Spirit forming in his people through wilderness seasons? And there's three lessons we see from Jesus' own experience, three ways the Spirit was shaping him. And here's the lessons. It's the lesson of Dependence and trust and worship. Dependence, trust, and worship. So I just want to talk through these real briefly, and then we'll sing to the Lord. So first, dependence. So temptation number one, um, Jesus has been out there for 40 days. He has not had anything to eat. Uh, bread that he has come to depend on all his life is now gone, and his stomach is just screaming at him. And so the first temptation, Satan comes to him and says, essentially, uh, if you're the son of God, well, man, this is no way for the son of God to live, starving like this out in the desert. What kind of a father starves his son to death? You've got power and you can use that power to feed yourself. So why don't you do something in your own strength and feed yourself? You can provide for yourself. You don't need God to do that for you. Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy, where he says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in doing that, he's hearkening back to Israel's own experience in the wilderness, where, where God had led them out of you know, this rich empire of Egypt and brought them into this place where there was literally no food and no water. And so they were completely dependent on God every day. And God provided 
manna, which was this miracle bread from heaven that would show up every morning and then it would spoil every night. And so all you could do is gather up enough for today, but you couldn't gather up enough for tomorrow. And so in that way, God was teaching the Israelites this dependence, this daily, day-to-day, moment-by-moment dependence. They had to depend on Him to provide in His time and His way. And that's what the Spirit is longing to teach us in wilderness seasons, dependence. That's what the wilderness is. It's these The wilderness is when there's these things that we rely on, that we count on, like food or like friendship, like being able to hang out with people or like a job or like money or like sleep or like health. These things that we depend on are are pulled away. And we begin to ask ourselves, if I don't have these things, you know, what do I have left? And the Spirit wants to speak a word to us in that, which is this, you have your God. That's what you have left. You have your God who will never leave you, will never forsake you, who has promised to provide for you in his timing and his way. And so we're forced into this place of dependence. Our illusion of independence is actually pulled away from us. And we're forced into this place of daily dependence on the Lord. And I'll just say dependence hurts. I hate dependence. (laughs) I, I don't want to be dependent. But the truth is, it's actually when we're trying to be independent, that's actually the most dangerous place to be. When we think we've got it figured out and we live life the way we want, that's actually the most dangerous place to be. And so that place of dependence is the safest, healthiest place we can be. And so the wilderness is there to show us, in fact, man does not live on bread alone or money alone or health alone or sleep alone or friends alone. But man and woman lives on God's promise to provide in his timing, in his way. So that's the lesson of dependence. The second lesson is uh, similar. It's the lesson of trust. And specifically, I think, trust in God's word of love to us. So at Jesus' baptism, God had spoken this word of love, right? You're my son. I love you. I'm, I'm well pleased with you. He heard that voice, but now he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And that doesn't seem like a long time, but I promise you 40 days is a long time in the wilderness. And he looks around him and there's nothing in his circumstances that would confirm that word of love that God spoke 40 days earlier. I mean, he looks, there's nothing in his tangible experience that would tell him actually God loves me. In fact, just the opposite. There's a lot to, to make him think, Does God love me? I wonder if God loves me. And so Satan uses that. And in the second temptation, he takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is looking down from that that height. And Satan says, if I were you, I'd I'd be wondering if if God loved me too. I mean, if you're the son of God, this is a strange experience. Maybe God doesn't love you. But there's a way you can find out. And here it is. Jump. Just jump. And the scriptures say that, that, you know, you're his son, he'll protect you, and then you'll know he loves you. You'll have this definitive experience, this concrete evidence in your circumstances that God loves you. You don't have to depend on a word that was spoken 40 days ago. That's, that's the temptation. It's this demand for a concrete sign, right, for a, a circumstantial confirmation of God's love. It's essentially saying to God, 
I need my circumstances to go a certain way if I'm going to believe that you love me. Your love for me has to look like A, B, or C if I'm going to buy it. And if, if I don't see that, I'm kind of out. I don't know if I, I believe that. And we all do that sometimes, right? When our circumstances aren't going the way we want, when we're just disappointed with our lives. There's that temptation to wonder, God, like, are you really for me? It doesn't feel like you're for me. And Jesus responds again in Deuteronomy. He says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Essentially, he says to Satan, I don't need to jump. You know why? Because God told me he loves me and I trust him. I trust his word. I, I don't need another sign. I trust his word. And that's the Spirit's second lesson in the wilderness. It is simple trust in the word of God that we trust. You know, when his word, when we go to his word and his word says, I love you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am with you. I am working in all things for you that we say, I'm going to trust that word, Lord, even when my circumstances don't seem to confirm that. I'm going to stay faithful, and I'm going to trust in your simple word. And then finally, the third lesson, we've got dependence, we've got trust, and third, worship. Who will we worship? That's the lesson the Spirit has for us in the wilderness. So in the third temptation, Satan takes Jesus uh, to this mountain where he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And he offers Jesus this really sweet deal. He says, see all these kingdoms? I know you want those. And it's true. Jesus does want those. He came to be king, the king of kings. He wants the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, I can give those to you. And I can give them to you fast, cheap, and easy. <laughs> you can have them now. Just one bow of the knee, one act of worship to me right now. And the thing that you want can be yours instantly. You do not have to go down this long road of suffering and pain and service and death on a cross that your father has for you. I don't make people suffer the way your father does. So just worship me and, and I'll give you the thing you want and I'll give it to you now. And that is the temptation of life, isn't it? To worship the things that we think will give us the results that we want. And we all have these desires in life. We have desires for happiness and fulfillment. And there's certain things that we think will bring that for us. And so we worship those things. We give ourselves over to those things. We give our allegiance to those things, hoping that they can follow through on their promises, whether that be money, uh, whether that can be human approval, whether that can be success, whether that can be beauty and fitness. Any, It can be just about anything. But we'll give ourselves over to those things. And when life is good, when life is easy, those things are all around us. And it's so easy to go to those things for satisfaction. But what happens in the wilderness is some of those things begin to be stripped from us. We begin to be stripped of those other idols, those other potential gods. And the wilderness has this potential with the Spirit to actually purify our hearts our heart so that we, we release our hold on those things because we we they are taken from us, and so that our hearts become more purely devoted to God alone. And that's Jesus' response. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm going to worship my God, Satan. He says, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to his way, even if his way looks harder, because I trust that he loves me, and I trust that his way is better in the end. And so I'm going to worship my God always. 
So there you have Jesus being formed by the Spirit in the wilderness. And as we find ourselves now in this strange, weird wilderness season, we can know that through this, the Spirit wants to shape us. He's always shaping us towards these great postures of dependence and trust and worship. So wherever you find yourself in this journey right now, let's just offer ourselves to the Lord every day and say, Lord, this is hard, but I want to offer myself to your Spirit. Would you do the work in me that you're wanting to do? The, the merciful, sometimes painful, but ultimately redemptive work. I'm yours, Lord. Let's go to God in song. I trust in you for every heartbeat as long as I'm alive. Your love endures when I wake and when I close my eyes. Help me to And I will 
other reward. There's no greater reward than who you are and what you've done for us. In all of our grief, in all of our laments, we rest in you. We are healed by you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we hope this morning has been encouraging and meaningful to you and as is our custom, we'd love to provide you with some reflection questions on the screen. So why don't you just take some time now to reflect on what you've heard. And let's end our time together um, by reading this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.